Welcome to the Freshers to Work podcast. This is episode 24. I'm your host, Kay Fresh. It is Tuesday, March 29th, and we have a great show for you today. All I can think about right now, though, is WrestleMania. It's coming this weekend. WrestleMania, WrestleMania, WrestleMania. Can't really think about anything else. And we don't know what's going to happen, really. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. You know, the build-up the build for it, it's been kind of weird. But, you know, let's break it down for a little bit, you know. You know, you got Triple H, the WWE champion, versus Roman Reigns. Their sort of feud has been kind of crazy, you know. They've been just kind of brawling lately. Uh, they had a weird sort of pull-apart to end, the, uh, end, the, end Raw last night. Wasn't as good as the, the Undertaker-Brock Lesnar pull-apart from, you know, last year. Uh, but it's interesting to see how that uh, goes down. My my prediction is probably Roman Reigns will come out of it, but there's a little inkling to me still that wants Triple H to uh, win it. I don't know. I'm trying to put my my faith into Roman Reigns, but he's still not getting over. I feel like he needs to to just turn heel and acknowledge all the booze that he's already getting from from being a babyface. The the crowd isn't buying it, you know. Just when when he when he first came in to WWE with, as a part of the Shield with Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins, the Shield were heels. So he needs to really go back and be a heel and just tell the crowd to stick it. Yeah, and then you also got the Undertaker versus Shane McMahon in a Hell in a Cell match, and the stipulation is if Shane McMahon wins, he'll control Monday Night Raw, which pretty much controls the whole company. And the Taker will never fight in a WrestleMania again. There has to be a swerve in this somewhere. This can't. It's going to be crazy. Last night on Raw, Shane McMahon put Undertaker through a table, the announcer's table, with the with the elbow off the top turnbuckle. Crazy, you know. So if he's take, if he already took a bump like that on Raw, then we might see some crazy shit at at, at WrestleMania. Then you got. Brock Lesnar versus Dean Ambrose, no holds barred street fight. That's going to be a slobber knocker. This is going to be like Terry Funk and Mick Foley all over again. It's going to be something just, just nuts, dude. Like I don't, I don't even know who's going to win, but it's going to be crazy. Um, and probably one of the best women's wrestling matches that probably that's ever happened thus far at a WrestleMania or just you know at a big paper at WrestleMania period, you know, you have a triple threat match for the Divas Championship between the champion Charlotte versus Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks. Whew, I don't know who, I, I want a new champion. We need a new champion and probably be, it's probably Sasha Banks' turn, which I'm fine with, but man, Becky Lynch is my boo though. So either one of them be cool. And a match that I am super psyched about is Chris Jericho versus my favorite wrestler in the entire planet right now, the phenomenal one, AJ Styles. And of course, I want AJ Styles to win. And I think I think he will. They've been the way they've been setting this thing up is, you know, they've been had the amazing heel Jericho. Jericho is the is so great at being a heel. And it's all to sort of sell to sort of introduce AJ Styles to the WWE universe. And this has been like the first like 
the best like first few that AJ Styles could have. It really is setting him up for bigger things in the future. So, and I think this is going to be, I think they've had some great matches thus far. I think this will be, they'll pull out all stops. I think it'll be a good match. Then you get the Intercontinental Championship ladder match that has Kevin Owens versus everybody else that isn't wrestling, pretty much. Dolph Ziggler, Sami Zayn, The Miz, Stardust, Sinkara, and Zack Ryder. New Zack City. Oh, my goodness. Zack Ryder gets a WrestleMania match. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. That that means there has been a lot of of injuries, I guess. But I hope, I hope Kevin Owens comes out on top. If not him, Sami Zayn. It'd be cool if Sami Zayn just got the belt already. But I, I, I think Kevin Owens should continue to have the belt. And I think this would be a big moment for him, you know, to win a intercontinental a ladder match. Something that he's done in the past in other organizations like Ring of Honor, where it sort of defined him, you know. To do that at WrestleMania, I think that would be that would solidify him even more. And then you get the United States Championship match between Kalisto and Ryback. Of course, I want Kalisto to win. <laughs> he's he's the god, man. He's oh, he's, he's Kalisto, man. He's like oh, like I I just want him to continue to ascend in this company. And Ryback, he just bores me. And then you got the League of Nations versus the New Day, and a handicap match. Man, uh, I just want the New Day to win. League of Nations is boring. Blah, 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 blah. Um, you got a few pre-show cards. You got the Dudley Boys versus the Usos. and eh, Dudley Boys. You got the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, which will be pretty much everybody else who isn't wrestling, probably. So which it'll probably be kind of boring. And then you have a big, you have the Total Divas versus what they call in Bad and Blonde or whatever, or Something like that. So it's Natalia, Paige, Brie, Alicia, and Ava Marie versus Lana, Naomi, Tamina, Summer, and Emma. I, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad everybody's getting sort of a match somewhere. But that's might be a little bit of a shit storm. And I kind of, to be honest, I wish kind of Brie got her own match on the main show, just because it's probably her last WrestleMania. And I think I feel like I, I feel at least during this match, maybe she should be the one who wins or gets the pin or whatever, because this is her last. It's probably going to be her last WrestleMania. So I'm excited. But what I'm even more excited about is on Friday night you have the NXT Takeover Dallas. Oh my goodness, this card is stacked. You got the championship match, Finn Balor versus Samoa Joe. I wonder what's going to happen here. I wonder if we're going to have any swerves. I wonder if we're going to see any new people. Maybe some old friends of Finn Balor's from the New Japan Pro Wrestling days that we have rumored to hear come over to the company. Or it's pretty much solidified by now. And then you have the women's, the NXT Women's Championship between the biggest face in that company, Bailey versus... Yo, the queen, man, Asuka. I wouldn't mind if Asuka won this, man, because she's a beat, man. She is killing it. She's one of my favorites, and it would be great if she actually had the belt, you know? So we'll see what happens on that. The tag team championships, you have the Revival, pretty much like the new versions of Arn Anderson, Ole Anderson, <laughs> versus American Alpha, 
Chad Gable and uh in in oh shoot Jordan yeah <laughs> I'm forgetting everybody's names right now sorry about that but then you have Austin Aries versus Baron Corbin great to see Austin Aries in NXT so I'm excited to see this oh, but this is the match that I'm waiting for oh my goodness the debut of Shinsuke Nakamura <sighs> dude my head might explode oh my goodness <sighs> had, had to take a breath right there. Shinsuke Nakamura will face Sami Zayn. Man, that's going to be an amazing match, man. Sami Zayn is just an explosive wrestler. He's already doing stuff on the main roster, too. So, oh my goodness. Shinsuke Nakamura versus Sami Zayn. I will... Do not bother me Friday night after 10 o'clock. I am not going to acknowledge you while NXT is on, and especially during that match. So, I'm excited for... Uh, for WrestleMania weekend, I'm not going to be doing anything on any of those nights from Friday to Monday that isn't me watching WWE programming. <laughs> Do not ask me to go to a concert to get a drink or anything because I am not leaving. I am not going anywhere. I'm not leaving my TV set any of those nights. All right, moving on into some sad news is the... Recently, we just uh, heard of the passing of Fife Dog from A Tribe Called Quest. Very much one of the, Tribe Called Quest was pretty much one of the innovators in the realms of hip-hop, you know. When they first uh, debuted back in around 90, or 89, uh, my first memory was, you know, is seeing the I Left My Wallet and El Segundo video on UMTV Raps, and as like an eight-year-old, that shit was just Stupid funny for me, man. It was just so funny, man. <laughs> but they they were one of those groups that really, after sort of all the sort of arrogance and excess of the 80s, they came out as like, as these bohemians, as these sort of Afrocentric fellas, man. Sort of nerdy even, man. And people could like really kind of gravitate toward them they could really they, they felt a part of it they felt like that's something that they could own you know they could they, they were just like the people that were around you know the regular people you know and then musically they just helped propel the production side of hip-hop to a whole other level you know introducing more of the jazz vibes into it you know and that just sort of was like a gateway for people to learn more about jazz from the previous generations so they were definitely definitely an, an epic and influent influential you know group for uh, you know for hip-hop and fife dog himself was just like he was like the master of the opening line man he had so many dope opening lines to his verses that you just remember man you that it, it was just crazy plus man he was like it was in a time when in the '80s, a lot of pe a lot of the rappers, hip hop artists, were either you know you had the Houdinis or the Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five, where they're just like wearing some crazy like clothes, like totally like larger than life type thing. And then you had like the Eric Eric, Eric B and Rakim's and stuff like that, LL Cool J's, where they kind of like they dressed like the dope dealers in in the in the block, you know. So it was it was like when those guys came out when Tribe Called Quest came out, man, it was like cool to see some guys that were just 
you know, not overly dressed, man. They were just kind of dressed sort of nerdy, regular, you know, just very regular, very bohemian, very just, I don't know, very organic, you know. And then you had, like, Fife, who's just, you know, the five-foot freak, man. He was a small, little, short dude, man. What wasn't your typical looking, you know, rap star or anything, and it made it made it kind of cool for people who weren't weren't like the biggest or strongest to like be cool and think they could do something, man. So they were really sort of inspiring to a lot of people that you didn't have to, you know, be in this sort of mold of of a rap star or even rock star or anything, you know. And that was kind of what was going on when that transition between the 80s into the 90s where he went from, like, hair metal bands of all sorts of access to, like, grunge, you know. It was it was going from that, all that excess of the 80s to, yo, we're, you, you don't need, you don't really need all that. You just need to be yourself, you know. And, that, and that's what really the tribe was all about. So it was, you know, it's sad when anybody passes and even though even though back when tribe was a thing i wasn't the biggest tribe called quest fan i did listen to stuff like tribe's music always sort of entered your eardrums even if if you were a hip-hop fan even if you weren't actively like looking for it you know so that was you know but when 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 you kind of go it still kind of hits you in the heart man like the other night i um i do the Parameda Sound Beat Profile Monthly Party, and uh, I did a little uh, Tribe Called Quest mini set, and, like, I totally got into my feelings during that, man, and people there were, you know, you know, reciting the lyrics and stuff, so it was it was a cool feeling to celebrate that brother's life, man, so rest in peace to the Five Foot Freak, Fife Dog, Tribe Called Quest, thank you for everything that you know you guys have done for hip-hop and music uh you'll sorely be missed you know all right going to get into the show today we have ben bruce the founder and guitarist of the english metalcore band uh asking alexandria uh this was a really cool interview they have a new album out uh called the black and this is the first album with their newest lead singer, Dennis, uh, Dennis Stoff, uh, who replaced their previous lead singer, uh, Danny Warsnap. Uh, this, in my opinion, their new album is the probably the best. I, th- I feel like the best thing this band has done. I feel like with, this new, with the new lead singer, it is a better band. And what we, you know, what we get into talk about is sort of the troubles uh, within the band when, uh, with Danny. Um, kind of things that were being held back, uh, creative freedom and everything. Um, and, you know, but they still have love for Danny, but it just wasn't working out for a long time, and it finally just ended, you know. So we talk about that, and then we just kind of talk about the beginnings of the band, and we talk about a few other things in uh, in Ben's life and whatnot. But uh, it was a really good interview, Uh you know, I feel like uh, Ben was being very upfront about a lot of things, very open and honest about a lot of feel- things he felt about Danny and his place in the band and about, uh, you know, Dennis's uh, new place in the band. So, that's um, you know, so go ahead and check out that new album. It's called The Black and from Asking Alexandria. So let's talk with uh, Ben Bruce right now. <laughs> 
you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, not too bad, thanks. Cool. Yeah, thanks for taking the time out to uh, do this interview with me. Yeah, of course. Cool. Um, yeah, you guys have a, a new album coming out, The Black. Um, we do. Yeah, and um, Danny Warsnop is no longer in the band, and you have uh, Dennis uh, Stoff as the new uh, uh -huh. lead vocalist. What was sort of like the mood energy of the band uh, going into making this album? Uh, we were ecstatic, man. We were super excited, super... We were like... I don't know. The last few years of this band's career with Danny at the helm, pretty stressful. None of us were very happy. We were all on a different page. Um, so it was a bit of a struggle. We were kind of just going through the everyday motions, you know? Um, but Dennis has joined the band, and he loves the band and cares about the band just as much as the rest of us four do. And so going into this record was... It was like a real breath of fresh air, you know? It was fun again, creating music. We had a blast. We put everything that we've been through over the last few years, not just us as a band, but Dennis and his personal life as well, we poured all of that into this new record. So it's a very honest and open album, but we had it. It's probably the best time of our lives making it. How was it working with Dennis? You know, why was he such a good choice for the band? Um, there's a number of reasons, you know. There's, not only is he incredibly talented and great at what he does but he's just a fun guy you know he's, he's a lot like the rest of us which is awesome it's like he's, he's already a part of this family and it feels like it feels like he's not the new guy it feels like he's been with us since day one and it felt like that very very quickly which which is obviously awesome but the other thing is he, he's been a fan of this band since he was a kid he used to cover our stuff on youtube so he respects what we've done in our careers up to this point and he only wants to help us further and better our careers, you know. So there's no ego or anything like that. It's just we're all in this for the same reasons, and we love we love writing, creating music, and so now we just get to do that together. That's great. Yeah, going into this album, you know, what sort of direction did you uh, feel like you wanted to go with it, or did you want, or did just <clears> like nat nature take its course and it just things just came out? We just let nature take its course and we wrote an Asking Alexandria record. You know, I feel like with the last release from Death of Destiny, it's a great record and, you know, it did it, it did well and everything, but it, we were kind of forcing ourselves to write things that we thought would be more commercially acceptable. We were trying to appease Danny because Danny didn't like heavy music anymore. And so there was a lot of stuff that was forced. You know, we didn't actually get to be asking Alexandria like we were with Sun Up and Scream and Reckless and Relentless and just as people and songwriters in general. Um, so with this album, we just kind of let nature take its course. We were like, we can do whatever we want. There are no expectations. Let's just have fun and write an Ask Alexandria record, a real Ask Alexandria record the way that we used to. When Danny was still in the band, do you ever remember a time when you felt like there was an indication that this might not work out and he's really not, his heart really isn't into this band anymore? I mean, it had been happening and building for years, I would say. Um, you know, even as early as our second album, Reckless and Relentless, I remember going into the studio um, and trying to get Danny to record vocals was just a near impossible mission he just didn't want to get in the booth and sing the vocals he would stay in his room and not really do much so you know all the way as far back as then which was 2000 we were recording in 2010 it came out in 2011 so it was just a long gradual process and he just distanced himself more and more and more as the years went by with, with that sort of friction in the band how do you kind of overcome that and get shit done um i mean i've i've 
since day one, I've been the main, you know, horse behind this that's that's towing everything along. You know, I've I didn't stop working. It didn't slow me down. You know, whatever wasn't getting done on Danny's part, I would pick up the slack and try and do that. But the thing I think that made it easier, there's there's a number of things. One, the overwhelming support we had from our fans since day one has definitely kept me going. But two, the the other dudes in the band, you know, Sam, James, and Cal. They're my best friends. They're my brothers, you know. So the four of us really worked well as a unit. So it made it easier just to keep working and keep going through this because the four of us were still so into it, so in love with it. Um, so I guess we just lent on each other for support and, you know, did what we had to do. If there was, you know, this sort of friction going on between Danny and the rest of the band for years, why did it take so long for, uh, for the separation to actually happen? I mean, there's, there's a number of things you can attribute it to. You know, I mean, it's the same thing with any relationship, even if it's, you know, with a significant other or what have you. Get comfortable, and it's it's a scary thing moving on, you know, especially when you're so used to something. Right. But um, I think the main thing for me was, you know, Danny had been my best friend for a really long time, and I didn't want... I, I didn't... I couldn't bring myself to fire him and have him leave the band because I felt like I would be letting him down. I wanted to try and work through whatever problems he was going through as his friend and, and try and help him through them and overcome them. Um, but there was no way I was ever going to, you know, turn my back on him and be like, sorry, you're out of the band. Um, so we kind of just had to trudge through the bullshit and wait until he was ready to, to quit, you know? What sort of relationship do you have with Danny today? Um, it was very strained for a while, you know, like he upset us um, and he kind of turned his back on us. But now, you know, he's he's been out of the band for like a year and we still talk, we text, we check in on each other to see how we're both doing. Like there's no animosity or hatred. There's no point in harboring that sort of feeling towards each other. You know, we were friends for such a long time. So we're sort of picking up the pieces again of our of our friendship. And, you know, he's happy where he is and we're extremely happy where we are. So there's no point in in hating each other or arguing with each other we just we get along you know definitely keep in touch and i think we will do you know ever. right okay uh back in like 2006 is when you kind of start, started the seeds of this band and then you totally like recreated a couple years later when you moved back to england looking back what was your thoughts about those early years trying to figure things out and eventually releasing that first album stand up and scream um I don't know, man. It was just it was just such a huge learning curve, you know. I, I I thought I was ready to take on the world, and obviously I wasn't. I was really young. I was like 16 years old, um, you know. But it was definitely something that I had to go through. It was necessary. It taught me a lot, um, not just in terms of songwriting, but you know, a lot of business stuff, a lot of how to how to read people. You know, you you very quickly find out who's as passionate about this as you are. You know, like. This was my life. I decided from about the age of 12 that this is what I wanted to do with my life. And I wanted to, you know, pursue this wholeheartedly. And a lot of people don't. A lot of people think they do. A lot of people like the idea of being in a band or it's rock and roll. There's chicks, there's drugs, there's blah, blah, blah. But that's not the reality. And once the reality kicks in and the hard work starts happening, people very quickly start to dwindle and and uh, give up. So, you know, that, that Arsene's Andre back in the day um, that I started... It was the exact same story. A bunch of guys wanted to do it. We went to England, started touring. We didn't get huge straight away. So everyone was like, man, this is too hard. It's just too much effort. And they bailed. So it was definitely character building for me. And it definitely helped me become 
the person I am today, you know, and I like to take charge and I like to make sure that everything's going the way it needs to for this band. I don't, I try not to rely on anyone else, you know, whether it's management or label or I try and make sure that I know what's going on at all times and that what has to happen does happen. Right. Yeah. Like thinking, you know, having that, those thoughts at even 12 years old that you want to be doing that, doing this is, you know, sort of a big lofty goal. What do you attribute that, that to, you know, what kind of kid were you growing up? Um, I did, I come from a very musical family. Um, you know, lots of people in my family play instruments and everyone in my family loves music. So, you know, I grew up as a kid, like I was that annoying kid with ADHD that at the dinner table was playing drums with his knife and fork instead of eating his meal. And then, <laughs> you know, my grandma played piano. So it would be midnight and everyone would be asleep. And I'd just sneak downstairs at my grandma's house and I'd be playing the piano in the middle of the night or even things, even smaller things like um, our family holiday every summer, we would go to London on the holiday and we would go and see musicals every summer, like Phantom of the Opera, you know, that, that sort of thing. And, and so I think it's just always, it's been there since, since the day I was born, you know, my mum, when I was a baby, if I wouldn't sleep, she used to hold me in her arms and put Elton John on and that would be the only way I would fall asleep. So I think music's just something that's always been and always will be um, a huge part of my life. When you were growing up, what was like? What was the first thing you learned about music, whether it's instrument or anything else? What was the first thing that you learned? Um, I learned um, fr- probably from my grandma actually that you have to play, you have to play with your heart. You know, you have to play what you what you're passionate about because. I, I, you know, you can go to music school and they can teach you music in school and stuff, but in my opinion, there really are no rules when it comes to creating music or creating art. And I learned that very quickly from an early age. You know, people are saying, you don't put these notes next to each other or, you know, you, you don't put this scale with this scale. And I kind of just turned my back on that at a very young age. I was like, well, why? Why can't you do that? What is sort of your process when creating and writing music? Um, I don't know, man. Like it, it, it varies. Um, for for a long time, like when I was writing, uh, like say Reckless and Relentless, I would start with the drums for some reason. I would hear like a pulsing rhythm or some sort of driven drum section in my head, and I would I would start with that and then build guitar riffs and melodies and stuff over that. But you know, over over the years, that's changed as I've developed and progressed as a songwriter. There's just it could be any number of things now. It could still be maybe a drum beat that's in my head that I want to write over, or it could be it could be something that's happened to me that day that's really pissed me off, and all I want to do is <laughs> thrash my guitar as heavy as I possibly can, you know. Or <laughs> I don't know. I might I might hear a piece of classical music on my iPod just comes on. Oh my god, this is beautiful. I want to go and try and create something that I think is just as beautiful. So, you know, there's there's a million different things that go into the process when I when I'm writing. Right. When I, when you're going into a project, uh, how much material do you actually demo out before kind of slimming it down to the final product? Um, again, that's that sort of changed as I've got older. Um, for Stand Up and Scream, we went in with the exact amount of songs that were going to make it to the record and the songs that I wrote, that is the record. They were Reckless and Relentless. We had maybe one or two extra songs that we could play around with. Um, but for this new album, um, which is a, it's a 12-track album, we literally went into the studio with 48 songs written. Oh. <laughs> and we, yeah, and we had to uh, 
you know, we worked on all 48 songs and then dwindled them down through the process and then put more effort and more time into the ones that we liked more and until so we ended up with the, t the 12 songs that we knew we wanted on the record. Where did that, that sort of, you know, that pro productivity come from for this uh, current album, having so, so much material to choose from? Uh, mate, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you, honestly. I think it's just something I thoroughly enjoy doing. You know, there's, uh, if I'm ever thinking about anything, it's, you know, 90% of the time it's, it's music. And I don't know, it's just, I, I love writing and creating. And I'll tell you what, I'll write a bunch of bullshit that's, that's really crap. And <laughs> it won't make it to records and stuff, but because maybe I'm not in the right frame of mind, but I'm still trying to write no matter what. I remember just before this tour started, I booked into a studio with my mate Sam. I was like, I fancy writing. And we spent two days writing. And then at the end of the two days, I was like, oh, this is shit. Throw it in the bin, you know, but I'm just <laughs> always trying to write. I, just, I love doing it. How do you kind of uh, decide what's bullshit and what's actually good? Um, I think I just sit with it and live with it and see how, because what it initially starts off as just a small idea in your head. Once you start writing and developing it and adding different sections and different elements of the song, sometimes it doesn't fall into place like you would have envisioned, you know, and if it's, if it's not how I heard it in my head, then it's just not good enough to me. Like, that's not what my idea was. I haven't been able to put it across properly, so I'll start again and try again until I can. How do you feel like this band has progressed uh, over the years? Is it, is it in a way that you've uh, felt like you wanted to, to go, or do you feel like there still needs to be some work to get to where you want to be with this band? Um, I think there's always going to be work. You know, I don't, I don't have a final destination in mind for this band. I just want to keep, keep touring, keep writing, and keep growing and learning, um, not only as a person, but as a musician. Um, I'm, you know, I know the other guys in the band feel the same way. So, you know, we've definitely progressed a lot, and we've, we've grown up a lot, and we've learned a lot, but we still have a shit ton more to learn and, and learn from and, and grow as, as people and musicians. So... Yep. For like the material for this uh, new album, uh, what, where do you feel like the inspiration came from for the uh, the songs and the themes of it? I mean, there's a there's a whole bunch of stuff, really. I mean, you know, obviously Danny leaving the band played a huge part in it. Um, it definitely set the tone and put me in a specific mood for a, for a while while I was writing. But you know, there's there's a lot of other stuff that's been going on in my life lately. I'm I'm going through a divorce right now, so that was a huge part of it. Um, Dennis has been through a bunch of stuff. You know, his his hometown in Ukraine is is war ridden right now. You know, there's there's war going on over there between them and Russia. So he's got a lot on his mind. And I think just all these different things they sort of build up in you as, as a songwriter, and they have nowhere else to go but the page that you write the lyrics on, and the instruments that you write the music on. When you're on tour and when you're on stage performing, you know, when you look out into the crowd, you know, what do you see? What kind of goes through your mind? Um, I don't even know. It's like I enter some sort of weird twilight zone. It's, <laughs> it's the happiest that I think you can, you can be, you know, I just, at least, at least for me. And I think the rest of the guys too, you know, you walk out on that stage and whether there's 10 people there, or 110,000 people there, 
you have a good time, you know. If the crowd's there having a good time and they're singing along, it's just an incredible feeling to know that, my God, I've created something that these people all relate to and these people love, and they go home and they listen to this, and this means something to them. And it kind of puts me back in the shoes I was in when I was a kid, listening to bands like, I don't know, Slipknot or Blink-182 or Led Zeppelin and just listening to these songs and going, my God, I love this song, I can relate to this song. And I kind of that's kind of what I feel like again um, when I'm on stage. I, I look at these people watching me and I'm like, oh, man, I'm all of a sudden flipped back into their shoes. And it's just, it's a, it's a really good feeling. It's, it's pretty awesome. It's quite indescribable. Have you experienced a point, whether it was an event or just something that happened, where it kind of clicked in your mind that this band can be something that I can do for a very long time? Um, yeah, I think it, it, it was, honestly, it was on like our, the first few tours we ever did, um, we were sort of crushing the headliners and we were selling more merch and kids were singing louder to our songs. And that was definitely an early indication. But at that point, I wasn't really thinking too much into it. I was just, I was just stoked and having a blast, you know. But then a few tours in, there's one show in particular that stands out to me. Um, I can't remember where it was. It, might, it was either El Paso, Texas or New Mexico. I can't remember exactly where. But we were on tour with Evergreen Terrace and For the Fallen Dreams. So both those bands are a lot heavier than us. And especially back then, when we were still on the Stand Up and Scream cycle, I remember this room being filled with like, I don't know, maybe 200 people, small venue. And as soon as we went on stage, all these hardcore kids that were there for Evergreen Terrace and For the Fallen Dreams, they turned their backs on us and they sat on the floor. And I was like, man, this fucking sucks. <laughs> but there were... There were three kids in the front of that crowd wearing Ask Alexandria t-shirts and they moshed their little socks off and they sang every single word and they had the best time of their life. And I was like, man, if these three kids are so passionate about this band to come to a hardcore show and not care what the other fucking 195 people or whatever are doing behind them, they just, they just are here for the love of the music, then I must really be onto something here. I must really be able to to speak to these people and that was definitely a big eye-opening experience for me oh that's great um <clears throat> like when you're on tour or just even off tour uh when you're not doing music stuff what does you and the band kind of do to decompress to try to relax uh, honestly i don't know that i do i, I can't <laughs> like it's just i can't stop working i care so much about this uh for instance on this time off um I went to Hawaii with my girlfriend um, on holiday and I went with one of our managers and he bought his girl and we were supposed to be there on holiday. We were there for like a week. And, you know, after the first two days, I was like, oh, I can't sit by a pool and do nothing anymore. This is insanity. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> it was stressing me out more than working does. So I ended up spending the holiday on the, on my phone and doing emails and, sorting out stuff for this this new release coming up and i just that it's kind of therapeutic to me i'm less stressed when i'm working than when i'm just sat there doing nothing <laughs> definitely what sort of music do you listen to when you're not you know making music you know what does ben bruce listen to oh man i i listen to just about everything i'm a huge blues fan so i listen to a lot of eric clapton gary moore bb king that sort of thing and then you know, obviously I love metal, so I listen to a lot of Slipknot, Metallica, Maiden, all the way up to 
pop stuff. Like I listen to a lot of One Direction or a lot of Elton John. Um, so I mean, it, it it really just depends on what kind of mood I'm in and uh, what what I'm doing. <laughs> Just from, you know, like a creative standpoint, you know, where would you, you know, like to have this band go to in the future? Uh, do you, you know, do you feel like there's like other things that you can do with this band creatively, <laughs> sound-wise, that could, you know, just set it apart from other bands and even your earlier albums? Um, you know, like I said, I obviously want to keep growing and expanding and getting bigger and building on our fan base around the world. But honestly... What I want out of this band more than anything is to one day, you know, when I'm either retired or I've died, I would love, I would love it if there were still people around the world that remembered me, and they remembered the band, and they remember how much they loved it when they were young, or maybe that they how much they still love the band, you know. So that that to me is the, the ultimate, the ultimate goal. Definitely. Well, uh, yeah. Thanks for uh, taking the time out to do this interview, man. It was great talking with you. Of course, mate. Anytime. Yeah, I'm excited to hear the new album. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate it. I no doubt, man. You have a good night. Take care, mate. All right, later. Bye, dude. Well, that was the interview with Ben Bruce from Asking Alexandria. Uh, go ahead and pick up that new album, The Black, uh, and check out uh, whatever else they have to do at their website, askingalexandria.com. If you'd like to uh, support the Fresh is the Word podcast, you can go to our website, which is freshisthepodcast.com, and there's a link at the top that says support the podcast, and on that page, there is a PayPal link that you can donate to, or there is an Amazon link on there that you can use anytime that you want to purchase anything on Amazon. Use that link, and after you make your purchases, Amazon will shoot some commission back to me, and I'll just go to help the show. Also, I definitely appreciate all the listens, and if you definitely want to share the links to the website, freshisthepodcast.com, or any of the links on SoundCloud, that's definitely appreciated and will definitely help support the podcast. You can also reach Fresh is the Word on the social medias at Instagram and Twitter at Fresh is the Word 1. That's Fresh is the Word number 1. And on Facebook, you can go to facebook.com slash Fresh is the Podcast and give us a like on that page. We're also on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, so go ahead and search Fresh is the Word on there. Go ahead and subscribe to us. And it also would be very helpful if you go onto iTunes and give us a five-star rating and throw some comments on there. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Fresh, 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 fresh is the Word.